0: Malcolm Honeline is executive vice chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations. He's with us every Friday morning at this time for the weekly update at JM and the AM. Mr. Honeline, welcome back to JM and the AM. No, well, thank you. Good morning. Do I get a hot dog at least on it? You know, you deserve a <laughs> care package. You actually do deserve. I'll try to keep that in mind. Okay. <laughs> Especially during this grilling how could How could I, with you holed up in your house for so many months, how could I not think of sending you something to put on the grill and enjoy uh, uh, during one evening? You're right. Uh, absolutely. You,
1: you've called... And I'll give an aha moment.
0: <laughs> and you'll give an aha moment. You've called me out publicly, and I have to respond accordingly. That's for sure. Um, by the way, speaking of, since I mentioned being holed up where you are, uh, do you have power where you are? Because people around the world who are tuned in may not realize that over half a million New Yorkers and New Jerseyans are still without power since Tuesday's storm.
1: Yeah, it's it's really quite remarkable. I did not have any problems, thank God, uh, but uh, my daughter and Tinec did, and I know there were flashing lights in a lot of places. But um, oh. And- much damage could be done. I mean, there really should be some accountability about preparedness and on the part of the
0: utilities. By the way, a golden opportunity for you and I, and, and you never rightfully give up the opportunity to laud the chesed organizations and just general individuals and families who are responding, because a lot of very heavily Jewish neighborhoods including Lakewood and others, are under terrible uh, situations now with no power, some being told it's going to be way until next week before power is restored. But again, Malcolm, you've seen and heard our community jump into action to help others.
1: Mikam kam is true. At any moment of need, you see how the community responds. It's really quite remarkable, as always. But it's the standard that is set for us by our uh, Abbas Nimaz, and it's been carried through all the generations in the most difficult of times and in the best of times. And the... Um, you know, we, we think of those who who uh, always have it much worse than we do.
0: Yeah, no question. Well said. Um, I, uh, frankly, and I, I'm going to acknowledge it one more time as I as I as I change subjects. I am amazed at what Galitzal Sal did this morning regarding the uh, oral obituary of Ravadin Steinzaltz. I could not believe how accurate it was and how laudatory it was. Um, I have been saying, uh, Malcolm, that of all the the great scholars have had the opportunity to speak to her. Steinzoltz always insisted on coming into the studio. It was never beneath him to come visit us, to have a schmooze and a conversation. I think a lot of people don't realize that in addition to his academic prowess, he had a wonderful sense of humor and in an incredible way, uh, with, an incredible way uh, about him when it came to interacting with other people.
1: His personal life story is is really quite amazing, and his uh, scholarship, his uh, the contribution he made and remained always very humble, uh, great humility. Uh, we also lost, uh, last night, Rabbi Kalimnik in, in Rochester, Right. good friend I mean, Another legend. Really that period, and also a guy who did so
0: much, built a community there. Yeah, no question, legendary figures. Uh, no doubt about it. And with R. Stein's also, what was one of the more heartwarming things I heard on Israeli radio was they actually acknowledge, and what a what a reputation it is to have these days, the the bridge uh, that he formed between uh, secular and religious, between Haredi and modern, etc., uh, both with his scholarship and, again, with his personality, winner of Pras Yisrael, etc., etc., etc. Uh, all that true. And, and these days, frankly, if you could be seen as a uniter instead of a divider, that's a really big thing. 100%. And, uh,
1: there are too many who who are looking to to exploit the divisions in our community, yep. and we too often contribute to it by our words and deeds. And we have to know if you look at the challenges of the world today, and the the issues that we discuss, and there's so many you can't fit them into, not into this, not into two hours and three hours. We do these webinars um, during the week for our organizations and our leadership. You can't even begin to scratch the surface. There are just so many serious challenges on the horizon and now, both domestically and internationally. Yeah, and we need to to look at resources and husband them and, and join together if we're going to be effective for the next generation.
0: All right. A lot of issues to discuss. And you could imagine how many listeners were in touch with me to make sure I would ask you certain questions this week. So it's not just me uh, with the list in front of me. It's a lot of them as well. Um, what can you tell us about what happened in Beirut this week?
1: It was a big boom. It was uh, uh, an amazing, and, and for those who have seen the videos of it, but I, I have friends in Beirut whom, with whom we've been in touch because I was checking on the status of the synagogue, uh, which was badly damaged. It had been rebuilt just recently for 4 or $5 million was invested by Former residents of Beirut, Jewish residents, and yeah. it was in that area. Uh, whether it was destroyed or just damaged is is yet to be determined. But it was certainly very badly damaged, and the home at least of one of the Jewish families was destroyed. Uh, you know, there's a long history associating Hezbollah with this ammonium nitrate. I don't know how many people remember that um, in 2015. The British police carried out a raid on a secret Hezbollah warehouse in London that had three tons of ammonium nitrate that they were going to use uh, for raids. But the British government didn't talk about it because they didn't want to endanger the signing of the JCPOA, which that was a priority sometimes. And that same year in Cyprus, 8.3 tons were found, and they were going to use that for attacks against, and they caught a, a guy and he admitted they were going to use it for attacks against Israeli interests in in uh, in Cyprus, and then in, in this year, German police raided a place in southern Germany based on information from Mossad, and they found also a stockpile of this ammonium nitrate. It is um, it is a dangerous material. It, the amount that they found there was a multiple of what was used to blow up. Uh, Oklahoma City, I think 10 times what they used in Oklahoma City. That was uh, three or four times what was used to blow up the marine barracks. The guy in charge of the port is Nasrallah, the head of Hezbollah's brother-in-law. And this uh, nitrate was taken off a ship, I think a Moldovan ship that was on its way to Africa, that was seized by the Lebanese authorities, and then Hezbollah took it from them and were responsible for it. Uh, the accountability issue will be a very big one because there were demonstrations going on in Tripoli and Beirut before this. The economy is in free fall. This is pre-explosion, and the um, there were the people were demanding uh, the government change, and many of them even picketed Nasrallah's house. They had hung a big sign and said, do you have electricity because in many parts of Beirut even, they were only having three, four hours of electricity a day. And they were uh, coming to his luxury building and said, and had this big sign across the street: "Do you have electricity?" So this is uh, coming at a time of real upheaval in in inside um, Lebanon. Uh, General Aoun has now broken with who who used to be head of the Christian forces as the president, and he he broke with Hezbollah, even though that you know he, he's a very mercurial fellow. In, in any event, and the. The story of what happened here will be one that will be investigated, but the damage is so extensive that it looks like Dresden is maybe a quarter of a million people without housing and the the economic losses running into many, many, many billions of dollars. Uh, And maybe, hopefully, this could bring about some sort of of a change, some sort of an accounting for Hezbollah, which has really been draining the country and, you know, everything is fungible, which is why we don't, uh, people and people have opposed giving uh, both IMF money, uh, International Monetary Fund, uh, funding to Lebanon, because it's all fungible. And as long as Hezbollah is part of the government, the U.S. will not support it. And also there's been a lot of pressure not to give weapons to the um, Lebanese armed forces, even though some argue it's the only counter, but the fact is that today Hezbollah permeates the entire government. It controls the country, and uh, we will see what what the ramifications will be.
0: And the point being that the storage of this stuff then becomes a priority, meaning that that, that's among the most important things to those who are running the place.
1: You know, in Israel there's been a long debate because in Haifa there was an ammonium uh, facility, and there was a lot better control And this was liquid ammonium, and it's now been diffused around different parts of the country. Uh, but there was an awareness that this could have been a target. Hezbollah has threatened to blow up, and Nasrallah in particular talked about the ammonium facilities in, in the Haifa area, Haifa Bay, just as he has the oil rigs. Um, so it's, it's a warning to remind people that this stuff is is can be set off easily, it has to be properly stored, it needs an ignition item, it doesn't just explode, uh, but it could have been anything, and we don't know all the facts, you know, this port was being used by Iran to ship weapons because they couldn't do it through Syria, as Israel was uh, eliminating it in that way, so they were coming through the the port to provide uh, weapons to Hezbollah, and there were some who said that that there's something there might have happened we don't know yet all of the triggers and all of the you know what other things were involved but it's been a it's been a focus of attention
0: for a long time um it, it was it left as you said uh 5000 injuries 157 confirmed deaths over a quarter million uh, homeless the um it, 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 and you said it needs some type of ignition. Was it an innocent fire, an accidental fire that ignited this?
1: It can even happen internally that um, that fumes arise and it hits something, some electrical spark or something in the, in the facility. But there were three different explosions and three different type of things because you see... The the high rising one, then you see the big red explosion, then you see the mushroom cloud of a of a light white color. The, the, it shows that there were three different explosions, the different materials, and we'll have to know, we'll have to find out with time about what what was there and and how it happened. But it's um, you know it came within days of the the Hague ruling. Two days earlier, the Hague. Uh, were to was to rule the International Criminal Court about the Hezbollah operatives involved in the 2005 bombing that killed then Prime Minister Hariri in Lebanon and 21 other people. Uh, so initially, some people thought that this was related to that, or it was you know a diversion for other purposes, or something. I mean, there's so much speculation. About what happened?
0: Yeah, well, where where are you on the on the accident versus suspicious scale?
1: Well, I, I I won't speculate because I you know I know what I know and and what I've heard from people that I I trust and everybody, even the best experts. I mean, they all have different uh, views. Whether we'll actually know the truth, whether Lebanese government will ever be free to to. Tell us is, is a big question. We don't know that they, you know, because of Hezbollah's dominance and they control the scene there, they rushed in right away. There were motorcycles, which is Hezbollah's means of, of transportation for the terrorists, moved in quickly to, to seize the location. Uh, so we'll see whether, how much of the truth we actually get at some point.
0: Uh, have international agencies or other countries offered to help and try to rebuild?
1: the area Sure. everybody referred president of France was there yesterday uh, he brought two plane loads of uh, volunteers material uh, there will be demands that the IMF money be released there will be other um, demands the United States has offered assistance Israel offered assistance to hospitals were are virtually pleading with them to send people there send foreign nationals from there they don't have to send Lebanese and they of course refused and um, But the international community, obviously, there's been uh, a response to this. But, you know, people are reluctant to give uh, assistance if they don't know exactly where it's going to end up. They don't want it to end up in the coffers of um, Hezbollah, which has been suffering for the cutback of funding from from Iran because of their internal and their financial situation.
0: Yeah, and I I know you addressed this already, but I want to just make it clear. When Estrella threatens to blow up storage facilities like this one, that are in israel are you saying he could easily do it and by easily i don't mean in terms of getting through israeli security and military easily meaning that literally if he's able god forbid to get some type of ignition process there the entire place goes up
1: well there, there are people who are concerned that's why they they limited the activity in haifa and it was a, a matter of great concern because safety measures were taken it's not ammonium nitrate that's being stored there. It's ammonium. Um, but he has threatened it. And the, in, the, in the same seriousness, with we take the threat against the other locations that he has uh, said, including Tel Aviv, because now they have, he has 150,000 missiles. If they're launched, it's said that they will launch 3,000 a day for countless days. Some of them will get through because Iron Dome can't intercept all of them. And there's, by the way, big news on Iron Dome, that uh, Raytheon and, um, and uh, the, uh, the Israeli manufacturer of the uh, Iron Dome, IADMI, I- D- M- uh, made an agreement now, uh, Israel Air- Air- Aircraft Industries, they made an agreement now to set up a manufacturing plant in the United States so that they will be deployed here in greater number. It's uh, further evidence of the cooperation in addition to all the joint exercises and everything that still go on uh, between the two countries, that's um, uh, an interesting thing. But the Iron Dome that Israel has, they don't have enough batteries to blanket the country. And if there was a real assault by Hezbollah, you know, they have all these weapons in people's homes, which has now become a big issue. And uh, you know, both internationally and within Lebanon, because they're saying if those things could explode, so could these uh, rockets that are placed in people's homes. Right. And it's in true even in Beirut that uh, the rockets were located inside people's homes. There were 28 locations that were identified just last month where uh, rockets were stored in civilian areas. They,
0: they care so little about people. They care so little about life. I know we've made this point a million times over the years, but it's just unbelievable when you look at the attitude they have toward life.
1: That's right, and they they sacrifice young people. Yep. Uh, Hezbollah has done it all the time, their own and others, uh, and they become used. Iran uses Hezbollah; they're, they're really a sacrificial lamp for for Iran, where they don't want to use their own troops. They send Hezbollah, whether it's to the militias and to to go to um, Libya or their involvement around the world in different in in Iraq and in Syria. They don't send their own troops to die. Right. And it's this disregard for human life that is really so astounding.
0: Yeah, no question. Uh, humor me for a moment on the suspicious side. Um, there were reports about Iranian planes immediately going and carrying something to Beirut. What, what do you think? I mean, was that a rescue mission or was that, uh, you know, <laughs> a coincidence or could, could it be, uh, you know, something having to do with a delivery of certain weapons?
1: Well, it could be uh, it could be anything, because there are regular flights all the time between mm-hmm. Lebanon and, and Iran, and that, that is the supply route for them, as I said, because the ground route, which is better, for, and for, especially for shipping these big devices. The fact is that the effort to, to put on the guidance systems, that's what a lot of this is about, to make the rockets they have in, in Lebanon more accurate, because when they fire them, they have no real direction. Only about 10% of the rockets, I think, have these systems. Israel has done a lot to stop it. As you know, there were two incursions across the Israeli border. Both of them were stopped in the second case. The first case, they just fired warning shots, etc., and scared them back across the border. In the second case, they took out a cell and at least four people were killed. Israel also hit a variety of other uh, targets within Syria that that are identified with Iran and Iran's uh, efforts to build infrastructure there. Uh, the conflict between the parties in, in in Syria is very interesting because Russia has moved its militias, according to reports, into some of the areas held by Iranian militias closest to Israel. Uh, although the Russians did issue a warning to Israel about its flights in Syria, which they've done. Uh, uh, periodically, there have also been big demonstrations in Syria against against the government. Uh, ongoing demonstrations because eighty percent unemployment, the economy complete collapse, the fraud that the people identify, the failure to really um, of the government to function in any serious way. Uh, it, it is symbolic of what is happening throughout the region where. Currencies, uh, whether even Turkish or, uh, but certainly the Iranian currency. Uh, uh, Yemen is completely uh, collapsed economically. Uh, Syria, certainly Lebanon. Uh, it's uh, wow. the, the situation is so volatile, and people, you know, don't look at it. But if I can just take one second, sure. if you look Nagar Karabakh, where you have Turkey and Azerbaijan and Armenia and the Russians and all Turkey, everybody involved. You have this situation in Yemen where it's Saudi Arabia and Iran but at least eight countries involved, including Russia, including Iran, including Turkey, including others. the Ethiopia, Sudan, Egypt, now very close to a conflict situation over the building of the big Ethiopian dam up in the Nile and blocking part of the Nile. And that also involves a lot of foreign powers. The situation in Libya which is ostensibly, you know, between the two parties in <laughs> Libya, but each is backed by at least four or five of the powers both the not regional a, outside. There's not a stable country on this planet. <laughs> no, but what, what what's important is and is that nobody in the media even covers yep. these things each of which is a potential nuclear explosion in terms of involving multiple parties the Egyptian parliament authorized Egypt has sent troops to the, Lib- to the Libyan border to stop the Turks who are trying to advance on Sirte. The, the, um, uh There was a shooting between Armenia and Azeri troops uh, outside of Nagar Karabakh. I mean, each of these things, and it's only some of them which are uh, potentially uh, explosive, and, and yet the media is there, and the fact is that in many of this, America is not present.
0: Yeah, no question about it. They're not taking a leadership role on this. It's America's one and only Jewish Moments in the Morning Radio program. Heard on listeners' sponsored digital radio around the world. The web at MalcolmSegal.com and the Malcolm Network. And, of course, in the beloved NSN app, Malcolm Holmline is executive vice chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations. Uh, they made a big deal this week about Qatar's royal family selling arms to Hezbollah. Do they normally not do that?
1: No, Qatar is um, working with everybody. Um, They they will sell uh, sell weapons. You know, they're involved in Gaza, some of it in cooperation with Israel, but supporting Hamas. Uh, They work together with Turkey. They're on the wrong side of most of those conflicts. They're involved in Libya. They're involved in Yemen. They're involved in many other places. Um, Qatar, um, you know, in some ways, America, we have a big base there, um, but the America that is. Um, but they are are generally playing a destabilizing role. As you know, they're in an open conflict versus uh, Saudi Arabia and the UAE, one of numerous intra-Arab conflicts. But uh, or Muslim, but he there, uh, it's been pretty pretty pronounced. Uh, the fact that it hasn't exploded more widely is interesting. And they do a lot of things through proxies. But Qatar has been lined up with Iran and. Um, uh, you know, they sponsor Al Jazeera, which has been um, a propaganda network in in most instances. So it's not surprising that uh, Qatar is
0: involved. Let me uh, g- give me a second here to read these four lines. You mentioned the damage before. And uh, speaking of Beirut, it says the following tucked away in Wadi Abu Jamil, a neighborhood near downtown Beirut, is the only standing Jewish synagogue in Lebanon. And its renovation is almost finished. The Magain Avraham Synagogue, built in 1925, was abandoned and closed down a year after the start of Lebanon's civil war in 1976. And, Malcolm, the, the photos are stunning. What a beautiful building.
1: It's a beautiful building. It was foreign families, many of them who used to be very prominent uh, Lebanese Jewish families, contributed. Uh, I think the, 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 the number that sticks in to my mind is four to $5 million. Yeah and uh it, there unfortunately is no Jewish community. there were no services held there and there was nobody to dive in there but the um uh, the, the facility itself was uh was magnificent, and many tourists would go there uh, and Unfortunately, from the reports we have it it was damaged
0: you know what comes to mind during this cancelled culture is that look at that a a synagogue building that most people know is really not going to be used at all in the near future as you just indicated still it's so important to the people the jewish lebanese people who are from that region uh... to 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 maintain it to renovate it to make it look beautiful and preserve it and its history that does say something about our people uh... especially in these times
1: and there was talk about trying to rebuild the community and you know people years ago, uh, the, were coming back, and people Europeans bought summer places in, in Beirut. When I visited it the first time, uh, and it, it was a magnificent place, and all the wealthy Arabs would come there and as soon as they had life. and you know now it's um, under Hezbollah, and the uh, deterioration of the country, of course, has um, Beirut reflects that.
0: Yeah, they'd destroy it all at some point.
1: But it was a beautiful city, and it had a very vibrant Jewish community, and they remained there throughout the wars and the conflicts um, and functioned.
0: I remember as a kid that it was regarded as the go-to place, you know, for the people who wanted that exotic vacation and stuff, like, you know. (laughs) Yeah, Um, now it's very exciting. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Now it will be quite a vacation, to say the least. A bill Democratic and Republican senators plan to introduce Thursday, I'm assuming that happened yesterday, would ban the sale of advanced armed drones to any nation that's not a close ally ally of the United States, according to lawmakers and congressional aides. Senators from both parties say President Trump cannot be allowed to help drone technology proliferate, and they want it to be kept away from Saudi Arabia in particular. Do you agree with these lawmakers?
1: Look, the arms sales issue is a is a very sensitive issue in our relationships with countries. I mean, there are so many that have mixed records, let's say on human rights or on other considerations. But um, the technology is available from many other sources. Russia fills the void. China fills the void. Mm-hmm. We Good see point. that now in the negotiations with Iran. That if the uh, arms embargo is lifted, and that and Pompeo is introducing a resolution about that at the United Nations, a new resolution, not just. One that would extend the existing embargo, and remember that this is only phase one. Phase two would come in 23, which is just a blink away, and that would remove all the restrictions on the ballistic missile systems in Iran. Uh, And so the um, um, you know we see that the Russians and Chinese are going to veto virtually any resolution at the u.n. that limits iran's abilities because they're sitting there with deals to set jet fighters drones everything else there are multiple sources israel sells drones to numerous countries and there should be standards, but I think Saudi Arabia, to a large degree, um, certainly has been allied with the United States in most of the conflicts, and its stability is, is a vital U.S. interest because of the energy we get from there and because of the role within the region. And it can be used to, to try to encourage, uh, you know, arms sales can be used as a positive way, too, to encourage uh, um, the countries to move in the right direction.
0: Uh, we move to Israel, where it does seem to me, unless I'm making too big of a deal of this, that the prime minister had a little bit of a better week this week. I don't know. Maybe that's just an impression I have. You could tell me if I'm right or wrong. But also to talk about the vaccine in Israel. I mean, how does this work You know, when, when you have multiple countries and the U.S. sponsoring certain projects when it comes to to a vaccine how does israel get involved in that process are they are they just doing parallel work with all this human testing starting in october in israel are they doing parallel work and it's simply who gets to the finish line first
1: essentially by the way that is true but it, but uh, israel is part of those programs and some companies get support as well um there are all over the world efforts to, to get to be the first across the finish line. I think there are a lot of people who are prematurely announcing um, that they have solutions or vaccines or believe that they, they will test, even when it's only very preliminary tests before they've been tested on human beings. Uh, it's very important. The investment is, is huge. Com- companies have gotten a billion dollars in, in advances to, to help expedite the, um, the development, and the FDA has given approval for drugs and uh, processes to short-circuit the, uh, the length of the testing period etc so that also means that you can get premature announcements about the things that um, are produced or, or on the horizon uh, so I think people should wait and see before they give they invest too much in some of the things you know people wanted to buy the drugs right away before they're even manufactured and, the uh, you know, it's understandable. This is a, a worldwide phenomenon and the threat of a, of a second or third shift in countries, and including here. And uh, you see that in the United States, the number of, of deaths and the number of uh, people being still being infected. Nobody should put the guard down. Everybody's got to sustain it. It's really important. Um, I don't know that this was a better week for Netanyahu. I think. To the contrary, really, it wasn't a very good week. The demonstrations we'll see this weekend, but every week they grow. Again, you know, the fact that 10,000 people or 15,000 or some estimates went up to 30, 50, and there were a couple, 100 demonstrations around the country, um, but... I think that the uh, overall political situation, you see the polls um, demanding uh, the, uh, that would not be uh, greatly supportive of, uh, of the prime minister, although the could still would be the largest party and the right would be dominant in if an election was held. I don't think that uh, the opposition and certainly blue and white uh, faction within the um, government wants to go to an election because it would fare poorly. Uh, but it's it's the political instability that is um, troubling, and the fight is over the budget, and they did not move on it. I'm not sure the Prime Minister wants it. I think that then triggers uh, the election, which will be held in December. So the fourth election in a year and a half. It's very demoralizing for the people, uh, you, know, and the unemployment, the uh, economic impact in Israel, which was not true the first in the first period, but it is true now, and they have, and thank God, the highest morbidity rate. Um, per capita of, of those who get sick um, and it is beginning to be contained and hopefully it will be uh, but that didn't help him either uh, so you know they're all people are looking at the election in November and, and, and speculating about what the impact of that would be to, uh, what the, the various outcomes could could um, impact them and, and you know Israel is in still the island of stability in in the region they see all of these threats going on around them, and yet they, they are uh, sustaining the position, they're defending, they're offering assistance, they are uh, playing an important role. I, I just have to say, I think there's one really significant thing this week that, again, th- doesn't get much attention, but the, the Israeli and the German Air Forces did a joint exercise this week in Germany, and they flew over Dachau and the Munich Olympic Village to pay tribute to the 30,000 Jews who were murdered in Dachau at the Nazi concentration camp, and the Israeli uh, athletes, the 11, who were killed by Palestinian terrorists in the Munich massacre of 1972. So they're going to make history planning this, and they're going to make history in September when they're supposed to have this joint exercise with their German counterparts, and we'll do the the flight. There were three F-15s that once flew over Auschwitz years ago during an Israeli Air Force visit, but I think this symbolically, what you said before, about the history and about remembering, and and they're all being done in a COVID-19-compliant way.
0: Am I right that that flyover you just referenced was during March of the Living, or am I wrong about that?
1: No, it wasn't during March of the Living. <clears throat> it was during a uh, uh, visit of Israeli Air Force, and the Polish government didn't want to give them permission <clears throat> to fly, but they did it anyway. And the picture is one of the most iconic pictures, I yeah. think, of the last... The
0: post-Holocaust period. Yeah, it's pretty amazing. Uh, a couple. I, I know we always debate about <laughs> whether we, you should spend your time on these local issues with us, but there are people who are asking me, Dafka, specifically to ask you about two things. Number one, uh, the the policy that's now been implemented in New York City in terms of those who are uh, coming into New York and uh, and how it plays as a, uh, a violation of civil rights, or it's not a violation of civil rights because of the because of the importance of the health matters that are going on do, do, do you have an impression of this new regulation in new york city
1: so uh, as you know the local issues is not my forte right. but I, uh, I, but like everyone else I have to live with the consequences of it correct <laughs> and as a resident of the city uh, i i'm very concerned about the future knowing the people who are may not return and the loss of the base and this uh, threat to to super tax wealthy people is only going to exacerbate it. So if you want an opinion on some of those things, I'm, I think it's short-sighted and, and uh, foolish that to, to some of the comments and I think the governor um, objecting to it is right because many of these people, they're the ones who have the options and they've seen now that they can operate remotely and no reason for them to pay the super high taxes here in New York City. And um, we cannot afford the the losses and I I have many friends in real estate who tell me that you know apartments are not renting that will come back I'm sure but it's and we should not do things that further harass and and give people the incentive to to leave the city or not to come back and I think that the it's not an implementable policy I know many people who have driven into New York and I've checked with them over the last 24 hours And the vast majority, I think it was over 90%, said that they were not stopped, they were not checked. I do know some, uh, and the person was somebody uh, who holds an important position. And so I forgot what the term that they use is, that... uh, he was an essential person. Uh, that's the term. Yeah. So, uh, but but it's not possible to to check everybody coming in. Are you going to line up people at the Lincoln Tunnel, the Holland Tunnel, the bridges? Uh, you know, everybody, uh, you know, coming in from the Gothels or, or uh, the Verizano. It's just not an implementable policy. I think there can be cautions, and if they're not doing it at the airports, as I hear, they're not. And and everybody finds ways. To circuitous routes to bypass it when they get word of of uh, people checking,
0: yeah, I hear that, and finally how did, how did the listener put it uh, how should how should the Jewish community of the United States react when a an important public official wants to disband the n r a
1: well um but well, it's the Attorney General of New York who who is talking about taking legal action. We'll see if that's even feasible. Uh, the IRA NRA is clearly uh, the National Rifle Association, a, a target. It has been long. But the, this is not about their policies. This is about internal corruption that uh, she's charging. That could be just a, a cover for, for going after them because of their political positions, because of their advocacy at a time when we see... Um, you know, people being killed. But we should look at other sources for that as well uh, and concerns about the, um, um, the rise of, of uh, um, homicides in New York and in other big cities and the way police are being treated and the disincentives, the, the, the rise of suicides amongst police and the resignations, um, the, the idea that somehow the police become the enemy and and gives only the murderers and others uh, what they feel is a pass to, to get out of jail free card, which they're all getting. And it's not hypothetical or a reference to monopoly, it's the reality. Yeah. And I think it's a combination of all those factors that people have to look at uh, to see how, and, and if uh, uh, we've let the society become lawless, and that is something we as a Jewish community and people in New York generally, and this is in minority communities, feel the same. I hear it from them. Um, look, we, we have a lot of fronts to be concerned about, the rise of extremism and terrorism, uh, of, of, of crime, but also of anti-Semitism and sometimes coming from people of note, often out of ignorance, even more than malice, some out of malice. We see the influence that Farrakhan has, which to me is one of the most disturbing aspects and one of the common factors among some of those who have spoken out. Uh, I have met with one of those and people and um, a very famous one. And he is not an anti Semite. He is not a hater of Jews. He actually is um, quite knowledgeable and. Uh, talked about his chuva than others who have it, and others who who pay lip service. It's not these apologies. We want to know what they're going to do. People have to be held to account just as we are for our words, and our community has to be careful. There were incidents sometimes that are are unfortunate. Um, People have to think beyond the moment and and an immediate response. But we're living in a very sensitive time, and people... Have to be very wise about the words they use, the references they make, and it's a time when we have to look to the future. What's going to happen in September? How are we going to sustain the yeshivas? How are we going to sustain our institutions? I got a call yesterday uh, about a synagogue on the west coast, uh, North Atlantic synagogue that's closing. Wow! And and it's not going to be alone. And the JCCs and others, any fee-based institution is today on the brink, and, and it's it's hard to believe this. And this is not a poor community, uh, but they just can sustain it. They'll continue a minion there, but I'm worried, very worried, about what's going to happen with our schools, what's going to happen with the whole spread of institutions, and especially uh, if this continues and the economic impact, especially if some of the big donors uh, could be adverse. So we have a lot of things to be concerned about, and, to be, and, and it only underscores the need for achdus, that we have to be
0: together and work together. No question about it. Thank you, Malcolm. Have a wonderful Shabbos. We'll speak again next week. My pleasure. Be well. Have a good Shabbos. Malcolm Holine is Executive Vice Chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations. joins us Fridays, 7.40 a.m. Eastern Time here at JM in the A.M.